Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Hi, this is Larson Hicks with Trinity Reformed Church. Before our regularly broadcasted program, I want to tell you about a conference we're putting on here in Huntsville this January. The conference is called Stronghold, and our theme for this first year is Biblical Masculinity. We're thrilled to have a great lineup of speakers. Pastor Vody Bauckham, Pastor Michael Foster from the It's Good to Be a Man podcast, Pastor George Grant, Dr. Ben Merkel, President of New St. Andrews College, and Pastor Rich Lusk. Tickets are on sale now at strongholdconference.com. Supplies are limited, so be sure to get one quick before we're all sold out. Thanks. Hope to see you there. Denominational or non-denominational, as read by the author Jason Cherry. Since today there are 10,000 objections to denominational Christianity, we find ourselves needing to answer the question, why belong to a denominational church? The reason is that to denominate something is to name it. To non-denominate something is to not name it. In other words, each church has convictions. The difference between a denominational church and a non-denominational church is that denominations put their convictions on the table for everyone to see. Non-denominational churches keep their convictions hidden in the drawer. And this is more than just a fun furniture metaphor. Barna has found that low denominational loyalty often combines with weak loyalty to Christianity itself. This is explained by the ethos of non-denominationalism, which says that fighting the fight of faith is running away to found a new church that doesn't have to submit to convictions named by the church historic. Sure, there are exceptions. Some denominational churches ironically hide their convictions. For example, there are theological liberals who try to take over denominations. And as J. Gresham Machen made clear in his 1923 book, Christianity and Liberalism, those liberals deceitfully do so. That is, they keep things hidden in the drawer. There are also denominational churches today that are embarrassed about what their church has historically believed. But they aren't embarrassed enough to come out as liberals, so they only pull things out of the drawer in response to a Freedom of Information request. Some non-denominational churches ironically name their convictions, especially those MacArthurite Bible churches that are more than happy to throw their Schofield Study Bible on the desk and tell you about their dispensationalism. But we aren't here to talk about those exceptions. Vast numbers of faithful 21st century Christians have dispensed with denominational Christianity. Denominational churches are too buttoned up, too stiff, too old. When those songs were written and those liturgies established, TikTok hadn't even been invented yet. How can denominational churches possibly know what's relevant to young people? And so multitudes of people today prefer casual, authentic, and inoffensive Christianity. The forms change from one year to the next, and if the forms don't keep in step with their preferences, then they have the freedom to casually wander out as casually as they wandered in. Even when they stay in the same non-denominational church for 10 years, they can rest assured that they belong to no party. In so doing, they fail to see that belonging to none is to stand above them all, which is not as humble as pretended. Where did Christians get the notion that party spirit is sinful? How have they missed that in Scripture there is a them and an us? 
In 1 John 2.19, the Apostle John saw this as a good thing. Mischief just as easily arises when Christians belong to no party as it does when they belong to the wrong party. Paul told Christians to belong to a body, to keep together, to fellowship with each other, and bear burdens, especially those in the party. See Galatians 6.10. Each non-denominational church is as solitary and complete as the lonely island of Hashima. They are unburdened from the past and uncoupled from the onerous accountability of other churches. They are free to ignore the generations of long ago. See Isaiah 51.9. Because, you know, long ago they were sinful and probably owned slaves. They are at liberty to remember today rather than the days of old. See Deuteronomy 32.7. Because, you know, in the past they didn't properly relate to millennials. They'd rather graze alone in the forest than graze in the fertile areas of Bashan and Gilead. See Micah 7, verses 13 and 14. It's argued that non-denominational churches provide a safer and shorter road for people who have been burned by traditional churches. With fewer convictions out on the table, there's more room to bluff that the desk doesn't even have drawers. This, we are told, is humility and love. But one problem remains. The evil one operates on a fixed principle that reads as follows. To the degree that God's truth is declared clearly and purely, it must be resisted and destroyed. This is important, so I'll repeat it. The evil one operates on a fixed principle. To the degree that God's truth is declared clearly and purely, it must be resisted and destroyed. When a faithful church denominates its convictions for everyone to see clearly, that ensures the devil's opposition. Do you want to be a member of a church that invites Satan's peculiar enmity or a member of a church that Satan finds harmless? Be careful how you respond. Answer one way and the devil will seek to devour you now. See 1 Peter 5.8. Answer the other way and the one wearing the robe dipped in blood will show you his sharp sword then. When he returns, see Revelation nineteen thirteen through fifteen. But then there is the curious case of those who form pseudo denominations, yet refuse to call the kettle black. Today there are a plethora of quote church networks end quote that mainly unite around church planting. That is, they have redefined church unity. For them, churches don't come together to openly name and unite around their convictions. Rather, they network to plant more churches that plant more churches. At second glance, church networks are just watered-down denominations, complete with watered-down statements of faith, if they even have one, watered-down entry barriers, if they even have them, and watered-down accountability. What is their conviction? Let's plant churches. What is the entry barrier? The zeal to plant a church. What is accountability? Learn the steps of how to plant churches. Church networks are just denominations operating with the haunting fear that some church somewhere might name and unite around historic Christian convictions. This is the sort of fear that provides people with an affiliation without authority. It's postmodern denominationalism at its finest. Some very sincere Christians object to denominations because they have been burned by a denominational church in the past. Whether the burning is real or perceived, 
we are rather talented at blaming the other party, they associate denominations with bad things. In response, we must point out that there may be good denominations and bad ones, there may be good churches in bad denominations, and there may be bad churches in good denominations. There even may be very fine non-denominational churches. A denomination is not, as many modern Christians suppose, an institution with 50 ways to minister to people, all of them bad. Denominations are ecclesiastical entities with certain personalities, certain characteristics, certain histories and priorities. They have a size, a standing, and an organization. The bulk of Christians who choose to inhabit them publicly acknowledge the denomination's confession of faith. Then there is another group. This group of sincere Christians laments the seemingly countless number of denominations and churches. They ask, wouldn't it be best if there was institutional unity? In other words, wouldn't it be best if there were no denominations? Wouldn't it be best if all the faithful came into a visible unity with one and only one institution? And the answer is, yes, that would be hunky-dory. And several books have thought-provoking movement towards such a unity. I recommend to you John Frame's book, Evangelical Reunion, Denominations in the Body of Christ, and also Peter Lightheart's book, The End of Protestantism. But we have to realize that the discussion about wouldn't it be great if there was no denominations? Well, that's an academic conversation. It's a conversation that needs to happen, but it's an academic one. The question for the young family looking for a church is not, shall there be denominations or not? The choice is, shall we join a denominational church or not? And so, to answer our lamenter, the way to achieve Catholicity is not found in the doors of a non-denominational church that is visibly unified with no one but themselves. The way to achieve Catholicity is to join a denomination that is visibly unified with other Christians. Almost 100 years ago, A. Richard Niebuhr wrote about the trouble created by denominationalism. In his book, The Social Sources of Denominationalism, he wrote about the problem of denominations failing to transcend their social conditions, creating an almost caste-like organization where loyalty goes no higher than the institution. We don't dispute that denominations bring sundry problems. Rather, we argue that belonging to a healthy church affiliated with a healthy denomination has fewer problems than belonging to an unfettered, non-denominational church with an oversized desk drawer. Most non-denominational churches talk of community, indeed making it the feature of their church. This creates for them a devastating paradox. Those who trumpet the evils of taking the faith journey alone start a church that stands alone. It's not that denominations claim to be the ground of unity. Christ is the only such ground. It's that denominations announce with conviction precisely what they are grounded in. This is the way to pillar and buttress the truth, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15. At Trinity Reformed Church, we use a book of confessions to state what we believe the scriptures to teach. In our book of confessions, we define and position ourselves as a Reformed Catholic congregation, which means simply that we uphold the distinctives of the Reformation while seeking unity with all Christians who fall within the parameters of the ecumenical creeds of antiquity, what's been called orthodoxy. 
Our book of confessions is not intended to be comprehensive, yet our collection aligns us with the church historic. Here are some of the confessions we subscribe to. The Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Definition of Chalcedon, the 39 Articles, the Three Forms of Unity, which includes the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort, and then the Westminster Standard, which includes the Confession of Faith along with the shorter and larger Catechisms. And the Westminster Confession of Faith is our primary confessional document. It's the, it's the tiebreaker and the standard for doctrinally examining elders. A church of diminishing definition buttresses very little. The truth of the gospel is preserved not just in the minds of a few people doing life together. Visions of Christian truth are preserved in institutions, covenants, and church constitutions. What if we raise the next generation to see institutions not as backbiting church politics, but as something beautiful? What if living as a Christian once again meant inhabiting a durable organization under long-term commitments? After all, what is the Christian religion if it isn't an eternal binding to Christ the Lord? Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.